I'll always tell it like it is. That's the bottom line. If you just live in to exist, you want borrowed time. Don't ever let them take your soul. No, no, no. Don't ever let them take your soul. No, no, no. I'll always tell it like it is. That's the bottom line. If you just live in to exist, you want borrowed time. Don't ever let them take your soul. No. To ask them, and they knew about his drug use, okay, and they knew about the crack, okay, and uh, they they had been offering to help him, you might say, okay, because by the way, now they were drug users too, but they wasn't doing crack, okay, uh, but they offered to help him, so he called them and asked for help. Only one of them was sleeping, didn't answer the phone. And the other one was at work. And then he left a message. Now, five minutes after Danny left the house that night, one of his friends called. Danny had just left. So again, you know, I mean, I know he might have went out the next night or something, but if he'd have reached that friend that night, they were going to go out and maybe shoot pool or drink a beer to help him with, with the cravings that he had, that he had admitted to them. Mm -hmm. Of course, I didn't find out that till later. Another thing he did that night, I had told him, I said, well, you're depressed, son. I said, I'll, when I go back to the drugstore, I think it was, I had a couple of days before I had to go back to the drugstore. I said, I'll get you some Prozac and I'll get you some, uh, uh, and I said, in the meantime, you can take Benadryl and you can drink a beer to help you sleep because he was telling me he had trouble sleeping. Okay. Well, I didn't know this either, but when he left that night, by the way, he came to our room because it was a custom that he would tell us, where, even though he was 22 years old and he was still living with us, he would usually come to tell us where he was going. Uh, that was the kind of relationship we had. So he came and he said, Dad, I'm going, to, I'm going by such and such house. I don't remember the kid's name or friend's house. And we, we, I got to get some notes for a test that I'm taking him over in school. He was going to a community college. And so uh, I think he also said, I love you. And we said, I love you. And then bingo, we never saw him again alive. But he left. But before he left, I found out too early that evening, he'd asked my sister if she knew where the Benadryl was. She didn't tell me that after he was gone. And I went and looked. I said, well, why couldn't they find a better drill? Well, it was right in the cabinet that he was looking in, but it was labeled with the generic name, diphenhydramine. And he didn't recognize that was Benadryl. So, you know, this is a lot of tear-jerk stories, but this is reality. This is what my son went through that night, trying not to go. Mm. And, but he went, okay, and uh, he got murdered, okay, and... Uh, a long explanation exactly what happened that night. I don't, I don't think we necessarily have to go in that. Not, not that I'm against going into it. If, if, if you really want me to, I, I could. But the uh, uh, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time that night. Uh, he did nothing to provoke his death. Okay, mm -hmm. But the killer also, in all fairness, I think really was young and loaded and got confused and felt fear and overreacted with a kid that wasn't about to do anything to him, but I think he might've suspected that. 
And so he, supposedly the killer was supposed to be firing a warning shot. And uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but if, if, if it, it's possible. And uh, there, there was a couple other freaky things that happened. Uh, Danny tried to throw his arm up, apparently seeing the gun. And uh, the bullet hit his arm and ricocheted into his head. So if, it, if, 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 if maybe if he wouldn't have thrown his arm up, maybe the bullet would have missed him. Okay. The other thing he tried to do is he tried to throw his way, his, himself out of the way and his belt, his seatbelt caught him. You know how if you move real quick with a B-cell, yeah. okay, grabs you. And the cops were amazed at that because none of the kids that ever dealt up there were wearing their seatbelts which again tells you something about him, but it also tells you that his head wasn't right, okay? Right. You put a seatbelt on, then you go up to a place at 12 o'clock at night where people are getting shot every so often, uh, mm -hmm. you know? But, but in all those circumstances, he, 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 he's dead, okay? And so the, the next thing that, that happened, and it's part of the, the story, is I, I start exploring what the hell happened. Uh, you know, I call his friends in. Okay. Well, excuse me. First, I got a I got a funeral to deal with, which is crazy. Okay, and picking out coffins, and uh, I I picked out the coffin by the color of the liner. His favorite color was blue. I didn't care whether it cost two thousand or cost ten thousand. I said I want that one because it's got a blue liner. And so, so we had to lay him out, and we went and saw him before because we was afraid he wouldn't look good because he'd gotten shot in the head. But but it was a miracle that the uh, you couldn't tell he had been shot. It went in through his mm. ear, didn't come out and whatnot. And they, I think he had a little bruise around one of his eyes, but they pretty much covered that up with makeup. And he looked like he was sleeping. He really did. And, uh, you know, I worked on a eulogy. And of course, the other crazy thing is I was even still writing his eulogy or refazing it while I was at the funeral sitting in the back of the room. After I had stood and greeted a lot of people, I went in the back because I knew I had to read this eulogy and I didn't know whether I was strong enough to read it. And, and I was still revising it. And, and uh, in, in the eulogy, I, I incorporated something that I, I probably wouldn't have, but his girlfriend came to me right after his death and she said, Mr. Danny, I said, did, did you know that Danny wrote a lot? I said, well, I knew, I knew he kind of did. She said, no, he wrote a lot. And I said, well, she said, let me show you. So I went up in a room and she dug through some stuff that she knew that I didn't know. And we found a lot of his writings. Okay. And it one struck me in particular, and it was a poem titled 1201 AM. Okay. And it's about, it, it's crazy, but it's kind of almost like it describes what happened to him that night and his demise, Danny's, but also what happened to the killer that night and his almost demise. I know that sounds strange, and some people would probably say, oh, you're just weird, you know, okay, but right. I suggest that you read the poem and make your own decision on that, okay? It's titled 1201 AM. Danny was pronounced dead at 1208 AM. He died a little bit before that, okay? Near 1201 AM. It starts off wrong turn, life burns. It's like a mystery story. That's the first three lines of the poem. The parents of his killer pay a high price admission to watch his pain so everyone claims. A flip of the switch in the dark of the night, a cry in the distance, a life taken for spite. Next, 
a producer, something like a producer promotes a blockbuster hit. And then and it says, but in life, this story doesn't fit, or does it? Now, that's not all the lines of, of the poem, okay? Uh, I'll get you a copy of it, okay? But it's really weird, okay? And it told me something. It reminded me that I had had a conversation with my son about God and about the death penalty. My son came to me, again, I'm going backwards now, but my son came to me a, a couple of years before, and he said, Dad, I, I think I'm an atheist. And I said, well, talk to me about it. He said, well, you know, I, I want to believe in God, and I, I think there's a God. I want there to be a God, but, you know, I just, I just can't buy the whole story, okay? And I said, well, hey, look, Danny, join the club. <laughs> I said, I've been a doubter most of my life, okay? I wouldn't call yourself an atheist. I'd call yourself maybe agnostic at this point, but you're young. You're exploring, okay? So he comes to me a, a couple of days later, and he says, you're right, Danny, I'm an agnostic. Now, I, I, it was around that time too that we had maybe a little bit after that showed me he, if if he if he didn't believe totally in God he was uh, he sure talked a lot about God <laughs> okay all right and, and it, it told me that he definitely believed in in, in Jesus's principles you might say okay because mm -hmm. we had a discussion about the death penalty and they asked me about the death penalty and he says Dad I, I don't believe in the death penalty. You know, this kid's like 17 years old. Like, I mean, you know, who the hell at 17 years old is thinking about right. the death penalty? Okay. Uh, but he does. Later on, that's which led him to write that poem, okay? But this is before the poem. We have this discussion. And it kind of turns into a debate, almost a friendly argument, okay? Because I'm for the death penalty at that stage, okay? And uh, and he gets a little irritated with me. And I said, well, look, Danny, I said, okay, I, that, how you want? You win. Because I said... They don't do the death penalty the right way. It really doesn't do what it's supposed to do, okay? It's supposed to be a deterrent, but it really isn't, okay? And I said, the real problem with it is, Danny, they don't kill them fast enough. Well, he got pretty pissed off at me. Mm. Uh, even though I justified it, I explained it to him. I said, well, Danny, I mean, the, the thing is, it's supposed to be a deterrent, okay? Uh, and, and yet the reality is, they kill somebody 13 years later. Who the hell even knew who he killed? Uh, the neighborhood people don't know, you know, if you killed them in a year or two years, then maybe people in the neighborhood would say, oh, God, Johnny got killed for, for killing somebody. We better not kill, okay? Right. But my son didn't buy that. He had some deeper religious anchor that at that time I did not have, okay? E even though he said he was agnostic, he felt like we didn't have a right. And in fact, part of his poem said, new killers are born when we execute somebody that was part of his the words of his poem and so later on i found out he writes this poem and i and i found out about some of his writing so at his funeral a couple of things happened number one i we i write that in his eulogy that i as time goes by i'll understand your writings more and more because his writings were really over my head mm. to reflect back on him i understand what he was trying to say and he was way ahead of me. <laughs> he was way ahead of me. And I'll, I'll get you copies of all of his writings. It's, it's incredible. Another thing that happened that day, dude, now remember I told you after his death, I, I got with his friends and I found out about his drug use. So at least I started to tell you about that. But at the funeral, I had another interesting thing happen. His friends came to me and said, Mr. Danny, we'd like to be pallbearers. We'd like to carry his coffin. And I said, well, I said, I thought about it for a second. 
Now, at the time, I'm still not thinking about who killed Danny, and I'm not quite thinking about uh, who to blame, you might say, who knew what he was doing, okay? But I'm, 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 it's starting to be in the back of my head, it's okay, but I just ain't time to, to, to get to that, okay? But I do suspect some of these kids knew, and I didn't like that, okay? And so uh, I said, well, no, not really. I said, I said I've got family members that are going to, to – to do it and I said but there is room for one friend and that's where they all wanted it well I gave it to a, a good friend of his who had helped me build the Mustang with Danny mm -hmm. and this was a friend that had came to me one time and said look Danny's smoking marijuana okay and I don't mind him smoking a joint every now and then. I wouldn't say this but he's smoking too much okay and so I appreciated that. And I mean, Danny had to sit down and talk. And I think we really could tail the juice a little bit, okay? But I always admired that kid for that, okay? And the kid got a little chastised for that, okay? And so, so in any event, now after the funeral, I bring all these kids in to ask questions. And while I'm asking the questions on the use and what happened and who knew what, and you know, and I'm doing this not just to punish them, I'm doing this to find out what the hell happened. Right. How happened under my nose okay and one of the kids says well mr danny why didn't you let us carry the coffin and i said because you guys carried the coffin before he died mm. i know that's hard and, and, and look my son would have done exactly what they did he would not have said anything but one of the lessons that i want to come through with education wise is is when kids, when friends are using serious drugs, care, don't cover, okay? And if you think it's, if you think it's going to hurt your, your, I don't know, your, the, the right word, uh, your social interaction with people, okay? Do it anonymously. Drop a note in a parent's thing. Drop a note in the school suggestion box. One of the things that I want to do when, we, when we, we're doing some of this education type of stuff that I'd like to push is I'd like to push a paradigm shift where people do start talking anonymously, where kids don't just do drugs, they become advocates about drugs. They want to protect their friends. They want to protect their school, okay? Lessons came learned out of that. Now, I have since forgiven my son's friends. We have a good relationship. One or two of them are actively involved with me in advocacy, okay? And so, but there's a great lesson learned in that, okay? So anyway, now I think we're through his funeral. Now the next stage is I got to go to the police department. Okay? Because I want, now all of a sudden, I wasn't thinking about the killer, okay? And now all of a sudden, somebody at the end of the funeral, a good friend comes up to me and hands me like a $2,000 check. And I said, what's this? They said, well, this is for the reward. And it was at that point that I really said, well, that's true. Somebody killed him. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. and, and so that started. And, 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 and the first thing you know, we, we put together a $10,000 reward. And me and my wife go to the, the police station and we sit down with some of their top executives in their, in their office and whatnot. And we offer to pay overtime. We offer to put the reward money up. Okay. And, you know, naturally they start saying, well, you don't know how bad your son was. You don't know how bad his use was. And, and uh, you know, but, but we're going to work the case. That's sure that we... Why, we, why, we, why we, would that matter to anyone? I mean, that, that's such an irrelevant thing to say. Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going I'm to tell you how, how bad it was. Okay. So any of that, uh, uh, 
we had actually, maybe they were a little aggravated with me because we went out the weekend after his funeral. You know, we cried and cried and cried. And I was so fed up with crying, I couldn't cry anymore. I said, let's go out and do something. We made a posters. And I'm talking about just like the day or two after his funeral. It was a weekend. We called up the New Orleans Police Department. We asked them if they'd have a police call because we were going to go up there with family members in that neighborhood. And we were going to uh, ask questions, try to find out about his death, his murder. And New Orleans said, well, we're too busy. We can't give you a call. So the parish adjourning was St. Bernard Parish. Okay, it's the neighboring parish, the parish we lived in. And I called them and they said, we'll send a call. Even though it was out of their jurisdiction, they said, to hell with it. We're going to send a call. Well, naturally, in the long run, that kind of pissed off New Orleans. But I made the offer to New Orleans, okay? So we went up there that weekend and we, we put a reef up with him. We said a prayer. This was all televised. Some of this showed in the doctor series, okay? Sure. And we got media attention. We walked the neighborhoods. Believe it or not, we got a couple of clues that day that ultimately, I didn't know it at the time, what was related to his murder. Okay. Mm. And the witness watched us work. The witness who didn't live far from there and who didn't, who I didn't discover for, I think, nine months later, okay, uh, she watched us. And in the long run, that added to her reason for, for coming forward. She saw how hard we worked. So working hard does count. And so back to the police now. I still at this stage have not given up on the police. I'm still thinking, well, okay, I'm going to take them at the word. They're going to try to do a decent job. Well, then I get a phone call from the place where he works, Pizza Hut. And it's the Pizza Hut manager. He worked part-time delivering pizza at night and went to school in the day. Okay. And, and they said, Mr. Danny, I don't know how to tell you this, but the police were here. I said, okay, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. She said, no, no, no. Said, they only asked me one question. I said, what they asked you? How much was he stealing? And I said, well, what did you answer? She said, not a damn nickel. Kid was the best guy I had. So then I, I kind of jumped the police a little bit when they did that, okay? And they said, well, he's probably stealing from you. And I said, uh, I don't think so. He said, well, you better check. And believe it or not, I started wondering, could he have been stealing from me? I guess I shouldn't be saying this online, but the, but you know, I, I ran some apartments, okay, and I collected rents. And I always took a little bit on the side, like cash, okay? So we had like a little cash cow in the house, usually a couple thousand dollars, okay? And the kids knew it. And all they had to do was just sign their name and give a reason for why they took it, and it was okay. And of course, I would check it so often. So I went back home feeling kind of sick to the stomach. Mm -hmm. And I went and checked. We wasn't a penny short. And I started thinking, what, what am I dealing with with these people? They supposed to be investigating. They investigating my son. Mm. And look, it got worse. Eventually, I get a phone call in the middle of the night with a asshole sergeant that's telling me to butt out. My kid's a crackhead. Uh, 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 he's a raw, he's a sprout bride. You don't know what the hell you're doing. You're a pharmacist. I'm a great cop. I'll solve this thing. You just step out of my way. And by the way, if you go above me or below me, I will throw his case away. Mm. It, it, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the, the story, the, the story is told in the docuseries, but there's a whole All lot right. more 
that they could not get in, okay? And, and it, it got so bad that we finally got, St. Bernard Parish was trying to help me a little bit uh, with the, what was going on with the New Orleans Police Department. And so there was a St. Bernard policeman there that used to be a New Orleans cop. And so our sheriff down in St. Bernard, who was in the video, uh, Jack Stevens was in the video, okay? And he, he sent this New Orleans police officer over there to try to bridge the gap that was going on between me and, and St. Bernard and New Orleans and all this kind of stuff. So, and we thought that that might patch things up. In, in the meantime, I had never ever went above or below him because I, there was one good cop in here. He was a lieutenant, okay? He was above this bad sergeant. And the guy on the top, okay, was good friends with the sergeant. So the good guy was in the middle. Well, I would tell the good guy, so look, I'll keep you up on what's going on and you can talk to me, but I'm not going to let the sergeant know you're talking to me because mm -hmm. he was afraid that the guy was going to throw the case away. <laughs> so, so I had to deal with this guy in the middle and I had to keep my mouth shut. Well, eventually I get tired of that and St. Bernard says, oh, that ain't going to work. They try to build a bridge. So we arrange a meeting. Now, but by the way, now, people ask me about why I recorded so much. Okay, let me explain that. Okay, I really didn't start off recording. Okay, it was one night shortly after this when we started having these brushes with the police that they finally allowed us to put the reward on. We had a press conference, and I went home. It's like 10 o'clock at night, and I didn't know this sergeant who's the bad guy existed. I had talked to his bosses, you might say. He was a night yeah. sergeant, okay? So I go home and I watch the TV and I see myself crying on the stage and offering a reward, and that's in the docuseries, okay? And uh, because it was televised, okay? So anyway, I get home and I sit down on the sofa and the news is over with and I get a phone call. And it's this sergeant ranting and raving about, you know, your kid's a crackhead, he's a raw, sprawled brat, he probably ripped the blacks off and, uh, you know, and almost like he deserved what he got, you know, and, and, and don't go above me and don't go below me. Well, I was so fractured when I heard this, okay, that after I hung up, I sat down and I tried to write down everything he said. I still got the writings, okay? Mm -hmm. After that, I said, the bastards ain't going to beat me again. Okay. After that, I started recording everything. Okay. I put a phone system in my house. I put a phone system in my car. I started carrying recorders. And that's where all this recording crap started. Okay. And ultimately, it, it helped me solve the case. But it also helps us tell the story now because we got some real time material of how I thought back then. And, and it morphed into I was so high strung about this. And after they started pissing me off, okay, then it was not only a matter of solving the murder, it was a matter of beating the cops. Mm. Okay, they tell me I ain't gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, okay? They fueled the fire, right? So they, they're accusing you at a certain point of being like a crazy person, right? When the whole time they're throwing the fuel on you to make you obsess. They made you crazy. Yo, that's, you know, right. I, I have my notes here, Dan, and, and I have, I have like these questions and I just have one word crazy, right? Cause I want to know, yeah. because I know that it's a theme that has come up throughout this process. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. you're, you're, what you're doing today and what you're helping me with to help me to understand is, is 
they really made you crazy, right? It was more than this tragedy, right? Because that'll, that'll drive yeah. you crazy all within itself, right? Once you start to think, yeah. what about this and what about that? and what? But they threw the fuel right on that fire. They oh, made they, they, the pharmacist. They made the pharmacist, right? They made yeah. you a crazy ironically, man. Ironically, helped me solve the case. It's weird, but ironically, they did. I don't know if I ever got so pissed off and so frustrated and so crazy doing even dangerous things, okay? Uh, uh, if they would not have provoked me that way and attacked my son that way, okay? He was not that kind of kid, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't think any of the addicts were, but this kid was a really special kid, okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know, many kids don't get detentions or don't have fights, right. okay? Not many are against the death penalty when he's 17 years old, <laughs> you know. So any of that, so you're right. No, no, they, they just about drove me crazy, but ultimately it, it helped me solve the case. They, they, you know, it really got worse. What I was getting ready to tell you is we had this meeting and we were supposed to try to patch things up. And it was a middle of the night meeting. Well, I don't trust this sergeant. I'm hoping that things are going to go good because this meeting has been set up by the higher ups and there's a, a NOPD guy that goes with St. Bernard, and it's all set up. We, we, we arranged this meeting in the middle of the night, like 12 o'clock at night, because the sergeant doesn't come on to like 11 o'clock or something like this. And there's two things. We're supposed to go to this meeting, and the lieutenant now has approved the release of my son's belongings. For a little while, they were holding some of the belongings that he had in the truck, uh, a little peace medal, in fact. This is the peace medal. Mm. Okay that he was wearing when he got shot. This is a picture of him when he was more like 17, 18 years old, okay? And so uh, we, we hang that on here. And mm. so they had a few articles and they had been holding them because supposedly evidence, okay? Well, they finally got released. So that night we go there to have a meeting to reconcile and start over, okay? And we're gonna get his personal belongings. Well, I don't trust this guy. And I've been recording everything. So my wife wears a wire. We in the 5th District Police Station now, 12 o'clock at night, we had the 5th District Police Station, 12 o'clock at night, and my wife is wearing a wire. She's got to go in the bathroom to turn it on. She's, we go upstairs. So they made her crazy too. She went along, okay? But let me tell you, I probably drove her crazy too, okay? But she was more sane than me. But her sanity almost stopped me, okay? Yeah, uh, she knew I could get killed, and then she'd lose her husband and her kids. So it, it was a, it was tough. Okay, it was right, just right. I felt bad for her. Okay, but I couldn't stop. Okay, so any of that, but she's with me on certain things. Okay, so she goes in the police all nervous. She's wearing this why. Okay, and we sit down at this big table with three or four or five cops. The bad cop stands up and starts ramming my son in front of my wife now. Okay, and. And, and, and he's he saying, you went above me because that's why we're having a meeting because I went above him. Okay. Well, he starts ranting so much that she jumps across the table and starts hitting the son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. The recorder's on. It's, it's a mess. You, you can barely hear what the hell is going on. It sounds like a, a mayhem. Okay. I got to grab her and pull her back. It, 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 was, it was a mess. Okay, so any of that. We then, though, asked for his belongings. He wouldn't give his mother his peace medal. He wouldn't give his mother his peace medal. 
Son of a, we go downstairs and we sit downstairs. We say, we ain't leaving. When the sun rises, we're going to go talk to the superintendent of the police. We're going to, this is it. All right. I was trying to hold back because maybe it's going to hurt the case. I don't give a crap now. Okay. Well, we sit there for about an hour or two and finally some of his buddies talk him into having another meeting. He doesn't really apologize, but he acts a little bit more peaceful. He acts like he's going to give it a try. Okay. And, and I, and I, I, I think he would have lost his job on a spot because I had a recording of it. Okay. And, and so any event, which he still didn't know, by the way. <laughs> so any event, uh, any event, we, we, we semi-reconcile, but he still won't give the belongings back. So I call Lieutenant Ali the next morning, the, 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 the good cop. Okay? And he says, I got his belongings and I apologize. I'm sorry for what happened last night. I'm sorry, I just don't have control over this, okay? Uh, I understand if you go to the superintendent, whatever you think's best, Mr. Snyder, is fine with me. He was a guy that was trying to work with me and not have everything blow apart, and he was trying to save his own job. Right. And so, uh, so we we went along, and it was just a couple of nights later that a cop calls me, and this is on this is in the video. Okay, he calls me and says, in the middle of the night, he calls me and says, "Mr. Snyder," and I think I'm half asleep. He says, "We found your son's killer," and I said, "Oh God, thank God!" You know. You know, and I, I kind of start apologizing to the guy, like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, you think yeah. you can go to where they are. I'm so glad you got his killer, da, 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 da. And he's bragging, okay? He's more or less sort of bragging about what's going on, okay, and, and whatnot. But I don't care now. If he's got my son's killer, mission accomplished, okay? Right, right. Maybe, maybe it's a good thing I held off, okay, and didn't blow everything apart. Hey guys, Jim Wahlberg here from The Bottom Line. Listen, I just want to remind you, please make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page at Wall Street Productions. And I also want to remind you, push that little bell. Just push it, man. It takes one second. Then that will notify you when anything's going on with The Bottom Line. Thanks.